And although we didn't form a utility and we're not managing a fiber service, we still view it like infrastructure, you know, a road to your home or water, sewer, electricity. Regardless of the fact that the federal government doesn't necessarily quantify it as such, that is how we view that. And our residents, they also clearly view it that way. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. And today I'm welcoming back to the show uh, two folks who were on three years ago talking about a very exciting model in West Des Moines. Uh, Jamie Letzring is the Deputy City Manager. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And we also have Dave Lyons back, who's the Innovations Consultant working with the city on this and possibly lots of other projects. Great to be back. Can't believe it's been three years, Christopher. <laughs> yes. And uh, uh, we've been really curious to know what lessons that you've learned. I'm excited to find out where we are on the project uh, and uh, what others can learn from this. Uh, and uh, frankly, I'll just say off the front set, uh, shame on the rest of the country that we don't have 10 other cities that are already doing this. <laughs> <laughs> because I think it's a great model. I don't think it's great for everyone necessarily, but I think there's a heck of a lot of cities who uh, should be doing this. And I suspect that we will see them doing it as more cities step up and realize the the power of this approach. Uh, but let me start, Jamie, with a, a quick uh, reminder for those who haven't listened to that episode. Um, what is West Des Moines doing with Conduit? Um, West Des Moines started a project in July of 2020. We announced a project uh, where we were building a ubiquitous conduit network. We're a community of about 70,000 people. And so we were making an investment to build um, just the conduit. And at the time, thinking that we would go to homes, uh, every home and business, um, in utilizing our right-of-way. And our goal was really... Um, to build something that carriers would lease, basically a lease agreement um, where they would uh, be paying an, a per annum fee to utilize that conduit, but the city would provide all of the infrastructure. We were not um, you know, interested in, in creating a fiber utility. And um, we've been busy constructing that in our right of way for the past three years. Um, our, again, I, I reiterate our goals were to create a, a system that would act, be available to anyone in the community and also really grant our uh, residents and our businesses their choice of a provider. That was our, our ultimate goal. Yeah, one of the keys in, in West Des Moines, Christopher, you remember is, is that um, the city realized it was really good at some things, such as managing right away, putting in infrastructure, organizing opportunities, uh, for access by citizens. Uh, private sector uh, carriers do other things really well, like create products, deliver services, handle billing, et cetera. So the vision in West Des Moines is to uh, stay in its lane, put in all of the infrastructure um, and support that as a means to lower cost and speed time the market for uh, competing carriers. And that's really proven out to be uh, kind of a sweet spot. Um, people are doing things for the very first time in West Des Moines. A uh, perfect example is, is the Mediacom effort to go to multiple G systems. And um, they chose West Des Moines simply because 
it was speed to market because the infrastructure was there. And for people who would like to go back, it was episode 441. And for those who haven't been to the the upper Midwest where we live, West Des Moines is not a part of Des Moines. It is a part of the Des Moines metro area, which is larger than you think if you've not been in the area. And um, uh, so um, that's a little bit of uh, of background. Um, now you built it, and as you were starting to build it, and I think Google uh, Fiber got involved, now called G Fiber or I frequently call it Gafiber just to make fun of it a little bit. Um, <laughs> they were a partner early on with you to to help uh, with that. Um, and then, as you mentioned, um, Mediacom is is using it. But um, tell us where we're at and who's using it, where we're at in the build. Uh, obviously, um, Google Fiber was our first kind of uh, tenant, if you will, in the system and uh, had you know, really made that financial commitment on a 20 year scale, which matched the terms of our bonds to fund the project. Um, that helped uh, really, it wasn't covering the full um, cost of the project, but it, it does um, help defray the cost certainly. We also understood, I might interject here, that this, uh, we view this as infrastructure, and although um, we didn't form a utility um, and we're not managing a fiber service, we still view it like infrastructure, you know, a road to your home or water or electricity, regardless of the fact that the federal government doesn't necessarily quantify it as such. That is how we view that. And our residents in, in their our surveys and things, they also clearly view it that way. So we went into this project under, with the understanding that it's possible that this may never uh, pay for itself, but it is an essential utility or it is an essential uh, piece of infrastructure that everyone needs to their home and business. Um, so as I said, Google Fiber was really our first tenant, uh, making a pretty hefty financial commitment on a 20-year um, term. And then, um, you know, this initially we were building a um, fiber conduit system because we really felt like that was where the future is headed with uh, connectivity and broadband. Uh, Mediacom has an alternate product. They disagreed. We spent about oh, just shy of two years and um, some you know, with some lawyers and and hashing out those differences, which we really never um, had to go into court to to deal with. But we were able to settle and actually come out with a better product. I think for both parties, Mediacom is uh, able to put together some uh, a coax uh, fiber hybrid product bringing um, even faster uh, speeds as advertised to our residents. And just this uh, earlier, like late summer, uh, Lumen, uh, formerly CenturyLink, also signed an agreement with us. And uh, they will also be joining in the conduit network system. That means that all three or both of our legacy carriers and as well as Google Fiber new to our market here in, in Des Moines, in the Des Moines area and and in Iowa, um, have signed agreements to be in the system, and I feel relieved. <laughs> I feel very relieved that it does. Um, it, it is a testament to the fact that the system is working the way it was designed. That carriers are finding it useful. That it is, as Dave said earlier, accelerating their um, speed to market, their speed to the customer. It's cutting out their capex. Um, related to construction. Um, and it was painful to build uh, for our residents to be in everybody's yard in their right of way, but it's one and done. 
and now it's over with. So um, you also asked me about the construction and where we're at. In um, October, uh, early October, late September, we turned over, um, as part of our agreement with Google Fiber, we turned over the bulk of the addresses necessary to meet that, that obligation. And so those are in testing phase with their people right now. Um, we're very busy with restoration, which feels like it might never be done. What is restoration for those who aren't familiar with the term? Sure. So, you know, we're putting in a lot of vaults and we're boring a multi-duct conduit. So um, the conduit itself is not creating a lot of disturbance on the grass level, but um, installation of vaults is. Um, so we're obviously digging up a lot of yards and things for that. Um, that means that we're having to go back and really with hand shovels, um, backfill those areas in, in people's yards. And there are thousands of them. So it's labor intensive, it's expensive, um, and it's uh, never quite up to snuff, you know? So um, that will still be ongoing. And then the only piece we have left is some private streets that have signed on. So we'll complete that work, um, hopefully, well, in the spring of next year. We talked originally, there was a goal of of the city owning conduit that runs all the way up to the side of homes. And that is something that uh, didn't happen, as my understanding, I suspect proved infeasible and very costly and also aggravating for homeowners in some ways, perhaps. So Dave, what happened there? The original vision was as infrastructure would uh, run into the home. Uh, the problem was threefold. Um, one, the model was is that the city would own the physical infrastructure and the right of way, and the um, carriers would own the uh, relationship with the customer. Um, there were different approaches to connecting homes that the carriers had, uh, which meant we would have had to put multiple types of connections in. Uh, just wasn't uh, feasible for the homeowner or for the financials. Um, so we are at the curb. Uh, the second issue was is that the uh, mechanism by which those would be expanded in the future uh, for additional services uh, really uh, relies upon private infrastructure uh, investment by the carriers. Um, so accomplishing the universal access at the curb with activity then quickly following for the um, uh, carrier of choice uh, for the homeowner seem to be the best uh, solution. Can I add to that also something really specific that we learned about that particular piece of the project? So one of our goals is to have uh, provider choice, not just only one uh, fiber provider or broadband provider, but your choice of multiple carriers. And um, we feel like we're, we have achieved that or we are achieving that. Um, but with uh, having the city install a conduit to the person's home, and having uh, provider choice be one of our goals. If, um, and I am a homeowner here, so if I decide that next month I want a different provider, now um, who's to take out the first provider's stuff in that conduit to my house? And then what are they gonna do with it? Or what if I wanna go back to them? And it, that was a piece, uh, uh, something that we learned that maybe we didn't, we're not able to really even conceive of until we got into the construction piece and the design a very specific design of that. So when we were working on contracts and negotiations, that sounded great. But when we got into really the application of the building, we realized ah, what happens if they really do switch providers or if they you know, want to switch multiple times a year for whatever reason. 
So for people who are sort of confronting this for the first time, the quick recap is that uh, the city owns a conduit system that runs up and down every street, more or less, uh, to touch all of the homes and businesses. Uh, it is, for all intents and purposes, completed, although there is always work to add on. And as the city grows, there will be additional challenges to incorporate that. Uh, there are multiple providers that can use it, and the providers are each responsible for uh, connecting to the homes. Um, and uh, that is something that uh, we've seen uh, in, a, in a couple of different places above ground, uh, this is just below ground. So my my last question sort of about the key infrastructure here then is whether or not the city itself is using some of this. Um, this was something that in Huntsville, when they actually worked with Google Fiber as well for their model, uh, the city was really enthusiastic about owning the network uh, and having fiber to be able to do smart city type applications, even if they didn't know what all those might look like today. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, Jamie, if the city's starting to take advantage of it or thinking about that for the future. We feel a lot like how you just described Huntsville. We're very excited about what that's going to look like in the future. And I'll, I'll let Dave touch on a couple of those points, but we are already seeing some, um, I think there's some things coming at us with charging stations that I'd like to get into. There's some things with telemedicine that I'd really like to try to explore since we have so many hospitals here. That we also have some public safety um, applications as well so with um, like a mesh network for um, um, tracking uh, vehicles or crime as it as someone might travel from one suburb to the next and so on. Um, so there's some interesting applications that our departments are starting to really realize, but there's still a few that I'm excited to check out and and, um, and really see what we can do with. I'll, I'll let Dave dovetail on that. The city had a pretty robust fiber network of its own, um, uh, connecting its facilities and the schools already. Um, so they've been able to use that uh, for a lot of the early smart city activities. Um, obviously, the, um, the universal network now being available and the city having capacity in that uh, simply fills in all the gaps. It's probably more interesting right now what's happening. So the city is doing a lot of very traditional smart city things. Uh, what's really kind of the interesting um, phenomenon is the living lab outcomes. Um, people who are looking to extend their relationship with existing customers think um, utility companies who want to do real-time adjustments of um, your utilities in your home and sign up for uh, up and down when the, when the heat and the cost of energy changes. Think medicine, where people are needing to do a scientifically large enough number of uh, research of folks to be able to determine what a broadband or a high-speed connection can do for a particular disease or a particular therapy. They're coming to West Des Moines because they realize that it is a universal system, but that any gaps to that universal access are also being filled. Um, if you are low income in West Des Moines, they have a program uh, connecting you uh, in a concierge manner with the uh, ACP program, American Connectivity Program, um, so that if you can't afford it, it is there for you. Um, and if you do not have the skills or the equipment, uh, they have collaborated with uh, PCs for People, a nonprofit out of, uh, I think, your hometown, St. Paul. Um, Just a few blocks away from me, actually. <laughs> yeah. 
that actually close. provide refurbished uh, computers and uh, 24-7 help desk support uh, for individuals. So you can imagine if I'm a, if I'm a, a clinician and I want to test out the ability to keep uh, heart patients from having to reappear in the uh, emergency room, but I want to test it out on a scientifically uh, uh, comparative basis using broadband, I can do it in West Des Moines. For them, it's the same as carriers. This is the fastest and cheapest way to market in the country. And so that's why they're starting to reach out and say, okay, now that this is done, how can I use it to prove out new business models that require that type of universal access uh, that West Des Moines provides? Now, you mentioned the uh, the ACP, the Affordable Connectivity Program, and that is something that was, I think the EBB was just getting started maybe the last time we talked. Um, and uh, And so at that time, you mentioned that you had been um, either been a part of or aware of pilot projects in the area regarding like wireless solutions for digital equity. And so I am curious what uh, what you've learned and, and how the conduit system may or may not be involved in efforts in West Des Moines uh, to make sure that households that, you know, might not have been able to afford Internet access have it, as well as devices and, and training and, and whatnot. Yeah, well, I think the best way to to refer to this is um, the pilots all became bridges. Uh, so we did a pilot. Um, if you did not have uh, the internet at home, you could take it home with you with a hotspot. Um, and then we followed that up with a, if um, you need to have the internet, we're going to make it available in many places within your own community. So public Wi-Fi uh, and public systems. And the third was, is if you are in a uh, in a facility or a low income a housing unit, um, how do we underwrite the ability for broadband to arrive and be ubiquitously available in that building? Um, here's what happened: people used all of those, but the ultimate outcome is direct fiber, high speed both ways to every home, every apartment, and every business is really the minimum standard for the future. So most of our uh, pilots have begun to roll themselves into a process of meeting people where they are, providing a bridge where they are to the broadband, but eventually replacing that with a direct fiber connection, uh, which is 100% available, 100% affordable, and accessible because they now have access to the equipment and to the help needed to use it to its maximum extent who owns that fiber then is that usually a partner like one of the isps in the system or is it some other entity uh, primarily it will be through public private relationships so for example if i am um, a, a resident who needs financial assistance i can go to a city office or i can go online to the city's website put in my address and it will call up all of the carriers who would be able to provide me broadband in that area. And it gives me also the speed, the, the terms, the costs, et cetera. So obviously there it's all from free to upgraded as you can imagine. So those are relationships we facilitate with the private sector. Um, when gaps need to be filled that do not have a private sector 
sufficient economic return, uh, such as community Wi-Fi spots uh, around things like the community market, um, the city has the ability to support that off of this network now. To add to what Dave was saying about the website that you can punch in your address and, and uh, see which providers are in your area, um, that's specifically related to the ACP program. And I'm watching right now to see how that comes out of the farm bill and things like that. But um, you know, we utilized our community development block grant funds and um, Dave helped us find a company that is pretty successfully um, working with mobile uh, carriers uh, with the Lifeline, the federal Lifeline program. We approached them early in the pandemic during this process, really before construction, but when the EBB was rolling out and um, sort of asked if they could turn their business model slightly and um, use their website tools, but adapt it to the EBB program. And they were able to do that. We, we um, did a, a contract with them to really be that um, the, the back end for um, website uh, that Dave was speaking about. So using other federal dollars that we had available to us, we're connecting income eligible residents in West Des Moines to other federal dollars. The, uh, the website helps them to realize who in your area is uh, an authorized carrier for uh, ACP. Um, what choice, like Dave was saying, you know, what choices of service or uh, a price level, price points do you have? And then um, helps to uh, fill out and complete paperwork that's necessary um, for that piece as well. So they're providing that customer service support. Um, and we're also doing some advertising to direct folks to the website to get that access if they are eligible or if they're um, in need at their home. It's a neat model. West Des Moines at each of these, whether it's availability, accessibility, affordability, et cetera, they don't allow people to get lost. So for example, you can go on the federal website and, and it can be a daunting occasionally on those websites, et cetera. That's why there's an online chat function with that and an 800 number. Or you can go to the local library and connect into this process. Um, so whether, or computers or knowledge, West Des Moines basically has a process that recognizes when people have a difficulty and then they have a solution for that. Then I'm curious about the financials. Earlier, Jamie, you'd noted that, you know, this is uh, infrastructure. Uh, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I had a thought during that, that um, the federal government, you said, doesn't recognize it as such. And I think cities were building roads long before the federal government took it seriously also. And so there's a, a history of this. <laughs> um, but I, I am curious now you have, you know, uh, three major, um, you know, lessees or, or soon will potentially depending on, um, you know, how things are going. Um, you know, is there a point at which you think it would pay for itself or is that even not the point? And, and you're just focused on making sure that you're meeting people's needs. If our finance director were here, I would like to say yes, maybe and hopefully. Um, but I think even he knows it's possible that it's not. Um, and and I think that that's one of the important uh, things about the project to recognize is that we're the government, so we don't really, uh, as Dave said earlier, we're very specifically meeting the need where private sector either can't or won't because there is not sufficient return on investment. And at no point during the exercise here over the last couple of years have we ever faulted the um, or, or criticized the private carriers from 
um, trying to, you know, turn a profit, you know, what they do, but they're also in doing so leaving behind some of our other addresses or some of our other areas of town that um, was, you know, very important to us that everyone was able to have that same ubiquitous access. So will the project ever really um, uh, make money? You know, gosh, I'd hope so, but I, I feel like it doesn't have to um, because a lot of the things that we do do not. So um, as long as we're comfortable with that and we kind of know that expectation going into the project, I think it is easier for our elected officials to, to see that and understand that as kind of our, our business model is to fill in those gaps that are not being met otherwise. Yeah. Um, well, I was asked about the, the return on investment from an economic standpoint, uh, and I and I think there's really three. Uh, first of all, um, there are now four licensees. Um, if you think about it, we have um, the licensees everybody um, expected, like the Google Fibers. Uh, we have the licensees that are good to have because of their size and the connection to population and the legacy carriers. We also have innovators. Um, My Fiber is a perfect example uh, that is serving some areas that were very hard coming out of the rural area and servicing some edges of the community. Um, so we have four licensees now. I think that number will go up significantly as people figure out how to use portions of this system. So I really do think the system will cover its costs. Will it make money going forward? I don't think so because the city has established a process of reinvesting and maintaining the system. And there are quite a few um, new requests coming in. How do we get it into the next neighborhood that's that's going to be developed um, since the state of Iowa doesn't consider it a central corporate purpose yet? So the city will, I think, continually see it reinvesting. But there's another piece in here that I think as a huge ROI, um, the federal government and state governments have played a game over the last 20 years of pushing things down to the local level. I'm going to pass a law that says you have to do this, and the state will then pass a law that says then the city has to do this, and the city turns around, and there ain't nobody else there. <laughs> so the city is doing That is where more the buck things. stops. <laughs> yeah. The cities are doing more things for more people with less money than they ever have in the past. Broadband connectivity is an incredibly smart investment for reducing the costs of digital citizen. The more I can reach people via, and the more they're comfortable interacting via the internet, the lower my cost per unit of service. The or I can use one connection, the internet, to be able to talk to them about all the services the city has available so that I can fill gaps that I you know, otherwise wouldn't see is a big return on investment. So I really think that's where the greatest value to the city will come. It will break even on its infrastructure, just like it breaks even on all its other infrastructure. But the value is going to come in the fact that it will be able to organize and facilitate civic engagement and collaboration at a level I don't think anybody else in the country is really ready for yet. And then my last question is is hoping that you can help me get into the minds of other elected officials, because I, I think both of you have had a lot of experience and talked to other folks. 
when I have talked to some people about why uh, this arrangement may not have been as appealing to them, one of the things I get is they would like to see a private partner bring more money up front. They're not as enthusiastic about that 20 year lease or, you know, or other terms and because they don't want to bond and uh, West Des Moines, I think you had, you had perhaps more capacity, um, you know, uh, took it more seriously. Your, your stakeholders, as we talked about in the last time, they were really taking this seriously. So you had the wind at your back in some ways, but, you know, I'm curious if, if you might hypothesize a little bit about why other cities aren't rushing to follow you uh, with this approach and whether that's a financial concern or things like that. But initially, I really thought that it was um, likely the fact that we were amidst a, a legal battle. So I think that there were a lot of cities that were just sitting back and waiting and watching to see, mm-hmm. you know, are we a test case and, and how does this really pan out? The fact that we never really went to trial probably leads me to to believe that that question of um, our, whether or not a city is obligated to be um, technology neutral still remains um, unsettled. So part of me thinks that that might be some of the reason, or at least has been some of the reason in the last couple of years. Um, certainly the, the, the cost is, um, you know, it's a lot. Our, our project is um, coming in uh, around $60 million for um, our community, our size. Um, and you're right, we have um, some ability to bond without increasing taxes um, and, and bond at a, a lower interest rate because of our credit rating that uh, helps our dollar go a lot farther. So um, I assume that that has something to do with it as well. Yeah, a couple, couple of things I've heard from the other communities. There's now uh, a lot of competition for overbuilding out there, um, and and they're using the term universal overbuild. Um, but if you talk to most of the carriers, it's an eighty plus, you know, eighty two percent, eighty one percent, eighty percent overbuild. The cities, I think, are finding themselves in a kick the can process where okay. Let's see how far the private sector will go, and then I'll try to fill the gaps at the end. Um, the problem there is they'll never get the type of return on investment for that 20% um, that will be anywhere near recovering their costs. It will be the hardest to serve with the most need, and it will um, obviously be a, um, a, a civic investment does not recover funds. They can't leverage an entire system to be able to drive value, licensing value, um, a connectivity value. Um, you know, even even the small cell companies coming in now and the utility companies coming in and, and using the system. Uh, all of the revenue opportunity and connectivity issues will be lost by them taking a wait and see attitude. The other issue is there were one or two that were, were close behind um, that did look at the legal issue in West Des Moines and more importantly, the political issues on the statewide and national basis. They're, they're looking at legislation every year in states and in the federal level that reduces the ability for cities to manage their own right of way and to make these investments. So they're concerned that they would have a stranded asset once the local or federal government comes along and says, 
oh, and here's the next restriction. Mm-hmm. I think West Des Moines got far enough out ahead of that. Even even in, in Iowa, when they look at restrictions, you know, they go, okay, if you don't already have the system, then you have to have this restriction. But if you've already got your system and your contracts, et cetera, you're grandfathered in. So I think there was a little bit of that as well. I might add to that. I think one of the things that helped us escape some of that um, type of legislation or, or um, retaliatory re- legislation, even if I may, um, is the fact that we were bringing a brand new provider name to the state of Iowa. And so I think that um, that was exciting enough for um, maybe, and I'm just um, guessing here, I, I know, you know, I don't know for certain, but it was exciting enough perhaps that um, no one was willing to foul our project uh, at the risk of, um, you know, kicking Google Fiber out of the entire state. Um, that wouldn't be such a great look for our governor, our economic development authority. Um, so we probably, like you said, had the wind at our back with that, with the fact that we were bringing with a pretty um, exciting and, and brand new name to the state of Iowa. So we had that advantage as well, I believe. Well, and just wait for the future. I mean, we had an interesting conversation at what we call West Lab, uh, which is a leadership advisory board here that basically says, okay, we have a ubiquitous, high-powered, fiber-complete, multiple carrier system in place in the community where Microsoft created its artificial intelligence program. Okay, so what do you think might be able to happen? We can start accessing and leveraging so that it isn't six city council people or six CEOs. It's 60 plus thousand West Des Moiners who are basically saying, yeah, I think I know how this is going to work. That's exciting. And uh, and I, I you know, I'm hoping that uh, we'll be able to catch up on the next exciting developments next time we talk. Um, I'm sure there's going to be several in, in coming years as this system is put to use. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to follow it. And I'm really excited to have you guys uh, come back on to share those updates. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you. Take care. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle's at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you.